great to hear your voices prayer, praying this morning. And it's always great to bring requests before our faithful, faithful Lord. So, um, yeah, we're going to be um, don't, jumping into the scripture in an area um, that I think will be uh, applicable to you. Trusting God in your decision making. Anyone got any decisions on the horizon? Anyone in the deep soup right now? Anyone kind of feeling like the oven's a little hot? I mean, yeah, man, it's, life's filled with decisions. And I, I look at you guys and it's like, man, here's another decision. Here's another one. Here's another one. Do I stay in this major? Uh, why did I choose this major? Uh, why am I here? Why can't there still be a break? Why did we have a snow day last week? Um, I hope none of you asked that, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, we have a snow day this week. Um, things constantly at your age that makes really this time of life very exciting and yet very challenging, can it? Do I date? Who do I date? When do I date? How long should I date? Should I get married? Is it time to get married? Why am I getting married? Um, If I do get married, will things turn out? Decisions, 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 right? I want to work someday, and all of a sudden you got three offers, and they're all really good. Oh, Lord, just give me one. Just give me one. Make one really bad, and make the decision just easy for me, right? I remember that when I was your age, and I got those two great offers. And, wow, that's, that's hard. Where will I live? What church should I choose when I get there? Decisions, decisions, decisions. It's a big time in your life for many important ones. And really, decisions will follow you or the need to make decisions your whole life here on earth. How are you supposed to make these decisions? What's the right way? How do I know God's will? What's the recipe for always making the right choice? And as we think of those things, you know, we'll, you know, we're going to have a lesson on that today that surely won't answer all your questions. It's hard to do that in a one-off, and it's hard to do that if we did a 10-week series. Because all your situations are a little bit different, aren't they? They're important, and there's big decisions to be made, and there's circumstances that are weighing on your heart, and maybe you're losing a little bit of sleep, and you're just trying to get things sorted out. And, and I, as boy, I know most of you want to please the Lord in those things. You want to do it, do it well for his honor and glory. Uh, but it weighs. It weighs on you because the decisions are important. And we, we'll, we'll, we'll set some foundational principles for you today that I believe are important for you to establish in order to make proper decisions. It will not answer all of your questions. It will not be a, a grand list. If I follow this, it'll be easy. But I trust it'll lay the framework scripturally on how God can be a help to you. So before we go any further, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll spend the time in God's word, looking at this important topic, all right? Father, thank you for the privilege to open your word. Lord, um, we love these young people. We love each other. This is the church that you've purchased with your own blood. And Lord, we look to you as our savior, our God, our, our, our leader, our authority, our shepherd, the one who cares and loves for us. 
loves us in such a way as you, as you have through Jesus Christ, the finished work on the cross, and you continue to, to, to extend that love to us. And Lord, we look to you today asking for you to use your word, to use what I have to say, Lord, to calm our hearts, to look to you, to make decisions that are honoring for you, for your good and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, there's lots of ways, methods out there, if you will, to figure out God's will, right? I mean, you, you, you've seen them um, listen for God's still small voice, manifest your reality, follow your heart, right? Find the open door. Watch for the signs that are out there. Discern the dream that you had last night. Set out a fleece or seek a prophetic word, right? You just We're flooded with these things, and perhaps you, like myself, has gone down some of these routes before, trying to find God's specific instruction. Lord, just tell me what to do. Lord, it would just, it would just be a lot easier. All this sleep I'm losing? <laughs> if you just gave me a word, or if I just set this out, and if it works... Or if it doesn't work, I'll know. I'll set out that fleece, right? This morning, um, I was reviewing the lesson, and the lights went out, okay? Like all the electricity. I was in the dark, all right? And um, if I was trying to follow uh, some of these things here, uh, what would I think? If God was, was God closing the door for today's lesson? Rich didn't get to review. Well, sorry, we're just going to have an hour prayer time, because uh, Rich didn't get to review his lesson. That was a sign from God, so... It must be authoritative, because it came from the Lord. Was God teaching me, well, if you don't repent, this is what hell will look like, right? Dark, right? Dark, utter darkness. And uh, maybe God was teaching me, oh, wow, Rich, you better straighten up your act here, uh, because if you don't, you'll be separated. Or there's a lot of different ways we can interpret that sign, in there? What was God trying to communicate? What did he want me to know? Maybe he was telling me to do something different that morning. Maybe a little more time with Christy than I would normally spend in the morning than, on, than when I'm uh, uh, reviewing and, and, and getting ready for a Sunday school lesson. Boy, you can, there's a lot of interpretation in there and a lot of harebrained ideas that we can be thinking of when we try to interpret signs from the Lord. And there's a better way. There's a scriptural way. There's a biblical way that is far better and it's, it's accurate and it's true and it's according to God's word in order to approach decisions biblically in your life. I remember a, 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 an individual I heard about, a friend of mine telling me about his Christian friend who had a bad sunburn. Uh, if you're like me, this type of skin, uh, you know, I almost burn in the shade. Christy, my wife, she, she tans in the shade. Okay, if you know Christy, I burn in the shade. And... Um, this person apparently did as well, and he, he took off a big hunk of skin. You guys have had that happen before, right? It just peels, right? And when he, when he looked at that big piece of skin, he's like, oh, that's in the shape of China. <laughs> All right? And from what I understand, he proceeded to the mission field in China, a sign from the Lord. And um, I don't know if this individual was already praying about China, and he got his confirmation. Uh, I would assume he's a sincere follower of the Lord that just wants to do and follow the right things. But these kind of, um, you know, looking to God to get the cheat code, 
or in some way find uh, a direct revelation from him uh, can get you in a lot of trouble and put you in places that aren't as, uh, this better discernment would keep you from a lot of decisions that aren't so wise. If I was giving instruction to this individual, I would say, A, start using sunscreen, okay? And B, let's go to the Word and see what God has to say about how to make big, life-changing decisions, all right? So we're going to lay the foundation. How do you become a good decision-maker for the Lord? How do you trust Him is what we're going to be looking at today. So we're going to look at three main points today about trusting God in your decision-making. And that first one you see here is your very first decision is to have God glorified in me, God glorified in you. This is the most important place we need to start. We make decisions every day. There's routine decisions, right? You got a pile of laundry, and it smells like last week's lunch, right? And you're like, do I wash or not wash? Some of you will choose differently, right? And uh, we just, we do that all the time. Do I brush my teeth once or twice a day? Da, 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 da. There's moral decisions we have to make. God has spoken. He's defined right and wrong for us in his word, whether it's the Ten Commandments or the law and all the various rules and regulations that are meant for our good. God is righteous, and he's defined right from wrong. And with these, there's no debate, is there? God's moral law, his moral will for our lives. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, when it says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, there's not a lot of wiggle room there, is there? Any sexual pleasure, whether through the eyes or through any other means of your body, outside the covenant of marriage is sin. Very clear, isn't it? This is God's law. And therefore, we can make those decisions quite easily, even though we struggle with those often. And then there's significant decisions on non-moral areas. There's not a clear right or wrong, but I have to make a choice, right? We talked about that. Who do I date or who do I marry? Where do I go when I graduate? Do I change my major? And on and on. I I need to buy a car. Which car should it be? What color should it be? Uh, uh, From all these, how much insurance should I get, right? They're all important decisions, but there's not a clear, concise Uh, definition in God's word of right and wrong. And this is where we often find ourselves looking for clues that God might give us a very specific revelation on what to do. And God has a better way. What is the motivation behind my decisions is what we want to ask here about these significant decisions. That's the area we're going to be looking at mostly in our time today. Now, you think about these decisions we were talking about. Do I date? Don't I date? Who do I marry? Um, do I, do I change my major? Where do I work? Those are decisions that unbelievers have to make as well, don't they? It's not just for believers. Unbelievers make those decisions. They need to make those decisions. And, you know, so you might ask yourself, well, what differentiates a believer making that kind of decision from an unbeliever? An unbeliever wants to make good decisions too, 
just like you do. What's the goal for the Christian? And I want to tell you this. It is more than just making good decisions. Okay? I want you to try and understand what I'm saying here. It's more than just making good decisions that lead to successes that keep you out of messes. Right? It's not just comfortable. It's smooth riding now. I made the perfect decision. God's going to bless it. And life is good. It's not the goal. It's great when those things happen, and we want things to work out, but that's not the goal. What is the goal? We have to break free from this mentality that centers life predominantly on my plans and my future and my goals. That's the kind of decision maker we see here in James chapter 4, right? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. James puts this here to help you and I avoid this trap of decision-making that's all about this life. It's all about my plans, and it's all about my goals, and it's all about my future. A me, 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 me. Lord, just bless me and my plans, and I'll be good. And James warns us against this trap. So I must start here, as we start this first point of trusting God in your decision-making, with consider my overall purpose in life. What is God's supreme purpose from me. And we see that in Colossians 1, 9 and 10. There's many passages we could go to. But look what Paul says. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And there in verse 1, verse 10, it says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him. This is our goal in life. This is our goal in decision-making, a life pleasing to him. This mentality changes the way you approach decisions. It changes the decisions you even make because it's for his purposes. It's for his glory. It's for his program. And some of those decisions are hard decisions, and they're difficult ones. And some of those decisions, even when you follow all the Lord's leading and all the Lord's wisdom and all the, the principles of God's word, they oftentimes won't turn out as good as you want them to. And yet when this is your supreme purpose, it falls right into place with what God's doing in your life as, you make, as he makes you more like the Lord Jesus. The over arching life goal of a believer is the glory of God. We're made to worship him. We're created to image the holy character of his son in all that we say and all that we do. And so our decisions need this foundational conviction. It is so easy to relegate decisions to a much more inferior purpose or inferior goals that that might be functionally helpful in this life, but they miss the whole point. You can make every decision, every decision right, 
you can be clicking and going away and you can follow all the wisdom of the world and do it. And the Bible still says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, if everything works out, if every decision is perfect and you lose your soul? It's not why we're here. We need to make good decisions, but we need this overall purpose in front of us. Kevin DeYoung, I think, says it well. He says a lot of things well as he looks to the scriptures. He said, the will of God for our lives is not that we seek first his kingdom. The will of God for our lives is that we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The most important decision we face is the daily decision to live for Christ and die to self. To live for Christ and die to self. He goes on to say um, as well, if we do these two things, living for Christ, dying to self, then we are free to choose between jobs and schools and locations. God wants us to stop obsessing about the future and trust that he holds the future. You see the difference there? There's a lot to think about in your future that you should be thinking about. You should be focused in. You should be trying to make good decisions. You should be trying to find the right way to make the wisest choice of those things that are before you. But this fundamental conviction is one in which it transcends beyond just the decision, right? In making the right choice. But it's a trust in the one who presides over the future of those choices, right? The outcomes, the reason why we're making those choices. I look at my life and it's from time to time and seasons, I've had a lot more life than you guys have at this point. And I must say there's many times it's easy for, for me to say my life is all about the glory of God. To say it easily, it just rolls off the tongue. And in the craziness that accompanies big decisions, we just kind of lose sight sometimes of why we're doing what we're doing. And today is just kind of a, a time to hit the pause button a little bit. Stop and, and wait and, and think here. You know, uh, Pastor Clay's been encouraging us with the scriptures, actual study the scriptures for a number of Sundays here in our Boundless Sunday School. Encouragement to spend time, quality time with the Lord and regular time with the Lord and his word and prayer. and It's what we all need, right? So, and that's the encouragement here, is continue to bring yourself before the Lord, his word. Continue to surrender yourself to his authority and his lordship over your life. Learn about God and then get to know God. They go hand in hand. This daily submission where I must decrease, he must increase. Committing that over and over and over again in daily submission. To come before the Lord in confession. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit, a right spirit within me. And as you continue to develop these habits in your life, you are preparing your heart for a life pleasing to God. And that's well established to make good decisions for his glory. He holds the future. Obsess about that first. So in the following points we're going to make, with this as our foundation, we want to make good, godly decisions from this vantage point. 
So now we're going to look a little bit more and spend more time on this point than the others, is how to know God and to trust God. All right? Big topic, but we're going to really go over some fundamental areas of God's character that you already know. And look at them in such a way or at such a vantage point to say, I know this about God, and now am I trusting God with what I know? That's the essence of biblical God-honoring decision-making. It's not a formula and a list of right and wrong and all these kind of things of of how to get the perfect decision for these non-moral areas. It's founded on a trust on God and the God who says who he is from, from Scripture. Okay, so let's look at this here. Know and trust God with your decisions. Uh, so think about this, uh, this statement here. To truly trust God in my decisions, I must first convince myself of God's holy character and his promised disposition toward me to the point of making confident and thoughtful decisions by faith and for his glory. Now, there's a lot said there, right? There's a lot of words. You know, David just makes it more plain. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. That's just a scriptural, much easier, more thoughtful way of saying what I said in many other words above that. But you see what I'm saying? To truly trust God... I must convince myself of what Scripture says about him. I must know about him, who he says he is, and convince myself that it's true. And not only know this is true about this God, but he has a promised disposition towards me. It relates to me, a child of God. If you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's disposition toward you has drastically changed from that time before you knew Christ. You were once an object of his wrath, and now you're the affection of his love. And that makes a huge difference in the way you approach decisions. I must know who he is and his promised disposition towards me, and then apply that to this area of decision-making so that I can make decisions by faith and for his glory. you notice here the psalmist here at Psalm 910. David, he doesn't merely have a knowledge about God. He takes it a step further. He's convinced about the holy character of God. There's some personal initiative, and this is the same step you and I, and I know many of you are already taking, all of us can take, as we trust God in this way with our decisions. I am a grandfather, happy grandfather of eight children. I was FaceTiming with some of them yesterday. It's always fun as there's food all over their face and they're either wrestling with one of their brothers or sisters, or they're telling me about their day. And uh, we also get uh, quite a few things over WhatsApp, you know, a video here, or a snowfall there where they're shoveling a driveway, or they're sledding down, a, or, you know, some, someone getting into some big trouble and getting into the cupboards, and they're covered with spices or something crazy. Well, we have a, a, our youngest as a one-year-old, our youngest grandchild, and her, his father, Nathan, our son-in-law, uh, he always starts his children early with various activities, climbing mountains, different things. And uh, little Jet, he's one year old, he was out swimming already, getting him swimming. So he's got him in, in this pool that's obviously, you know, a little deeper than his height, right? And, uh, 
And, uh, and we get a little video from my daughter taking the video, and he's just, he's floating around. And all of a sudden, you know, he starts having a little trouble and taking on water, right? But dad's right there. So what, is, what do you think Jet's doing? He's reaching for dad, right? He, got, he figured that out right away. It's dad or I sink, all right? It's one or the other. And he's, you know, you, you can see this video here, and as he's, as he's starting to sink, he'd reach out for dad, and dad's right there. And, but then he's like, yeah, I think I'll try this a little bit more. Two seconds later, he's sinking, right? And he's grabbing for dad. Why did he trust his dad? Well, he knew he was there. He was a stronghold, right? He was a place of refuge. He, he knew his dad loves him to some degree as a one-year-old, right? And, and, and he could reach out for him and depend on him. You see the difference of just knowing someone is a loving person and then actually trusting that person? To depend on them, to reach out to them? in your time of need, to actually take hold? That's the difference we're talking about here. It's not just knowing, oh, my dad loves me, but he loves me, and I know that, and I trust him. I depend on him. We want to take our decisions the right way, the same way here, in coming to God, who he says he is, and we're going to do that by going through various attributes of God here, okay, and going through them one by one. We'll have to go relatively quickly to get through our lesson today. So it won't be enough time, but perhaps enough time to whet your appetite, what we're going to look at. So we're going to start here. I can fully trust God with my decisions because he is love or he is loving. God is love, so he shows me that he is fully committed to my utmost care and good because he's love. Psalm 32 and verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. What's the takeaway here? I can trust the God of love with my decisions. We must be convinced of this. God who loves is the fundamental trait of God's nature, right? It's fundamental to his character. At immeasurable cost to himself, Jesus carried out the Father's will by accepting the punishment for our sins. In this while we were his enemies, we were resistant to anything good. It's nothing we wanted ourselves, and he worked first, and with us, with nothing to author, uh, offer him, clinging to our sin, we were justly objects of God's wrath, on a one-way trip to hell with no hope, no escape, and he lavished his love on us. We oftentimes look at that and say, well, that's, well, that's God's love. Now I'm, I'm, I live life on my own now. He loved me, I know that, but now i got to figure out life. And that's not true. That is not true. He continues to extend his love to us. So many passages we could go to today, but in Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He has not left us out hanging dry, right? With all he has done in this extreme love in the giving of his son, will he not give us all things? Will he not give us the spiritual wherewithal and the resources and the strengths and the abilities to make decisions that are honoring to him? Of course he will. He's our constant help. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not be our constant help in time of decision? Will he not seek our guilt, goodness and welfare when we seek him and fear him when we need him most? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not fully accomplish his good and sovereign purposes in our life as we lay our decisions before him in his careful care? God's loving disposition compels him. It compels him to always act for us in goodness, in mercy, in kindness. Uh, Jerry Bridges said this, such a great quote, God's love to us cannot fail any more than his love for Christ can fail. It's that kind of bond. It's that kind of commitment. It's that kind of covenant to us in Christ. Are you doubting God's love for you? Are you tempted to think in some way that he's written you off or he doesn't care anymore? God's fixed attitude toward you is love. It's always benevolent. It's always giving. It's always for our benefit. And therefore, you can go to him knowing of this disposition with your cares, your concerns, your anxieties, and your decisions. Let's look at another attribute about God. And that's the fact that he's good. God and his goodness. God and his goodness. I can fully trust God with my decisions because God is good. And he demonstrates he's merciful and kind and benevolent to me in all situations. He's good. Great passage of scripture here. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. The Lord is good. It's closely related to love. What is his goodness? It's a a cosmic generosity, is the way J.I. Packer put it. God and his goodness, it's a cosmic generosity. It's always goodness that prompts him to deal kindly and generously and patiently and merciful in a merciful way towards us with affection. Isn't that a comfort to know when you've got big decisions on your plate that you know God is good and you can use those truths to dispel any of those lies that are telling you that undermine his goodness that in the the, the midst of difficult decisions and trials, that he is there for your good. Because God is good, it's not his desire to trick you or cheat you out in any way. It's not his disposition. Because God is good, he doesn't play some kind of cosmic, insidious game of of hide-and-seek with you, trying to trip you up in some way, or just trying to see if you can find this special little path. It's not his nature, because he's good. He's not on a mission to harm you or to hold back what's best for you. And so when life is hard, cling to the Lord. Run to him. He loves you, and he is good. We often find ourselves in circumstances where things don't seem so good, do they? Things are going south. Man, I just flagged that test again. Now i got a decision. Do I stay with the class? Do I not stay with the class? I'm just not getting it. And we kind of get this idea that sometimes these, we believe these lies. Well, God's not for me anymore. Maybe I did something wrong. God doesn't love me anymore. 
Maybe, it's not, maybe God's not as good as what the Bible says he is, not certainly for me in my situation. And we can turn that all around to a proper perspective of decisions you need to make, knowing he loves you, that these things are occurring for a purpose, that God's disposition is for you is for good, that he's actually accomplishing good in these difficult circumstances. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't said, just figure it out yourself. So I convince myself of what he says, and I run to him. I grab hold of him when I'm sinking in the water, because he's loving, and he's good. All right? Let's go on here. He's not only loving, and he's not only good, but he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. There is nothing the Lord cannot do. And so in his omnipotence, I can fully trust him because he assures us that he has the power to always succeed in his promises and plans. Always. Always, always, always. You look at Psalm 147 here. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Abundant in power. He is omnipotent. He has the power and ability to accomplish anything he desires. He has un, excuse me, unlimited strength, and he uses it without effort. He never tires. He never needs rest. He never needs a sabbatical. So when God commits to accomplish something according to his sovereign will, he has the power to fulfill it. And when we have a loving God, And a good God, there is no reason to be afraid of his will. What he has ordained and what he has established for your steps in the future, he has the power to accomplish that love and good purpose he has in you. In whatever way God chooses to to providentially work in your circumstances, he will get the job done because he has the power to accomplish that which is good and loving. And nothing can stop that. What an extremely motivating way to trust God with all our circumstances, despite the appearances of what may be in your life today, as difficult as they are, to cling to a loving, good, powerful God. Let's keep going. It just keeps getting better. God is also omniscient. He is all-knowing. And in doing so, he assures me that he fully knows all things, including every detail of my life and all of my circumstances. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. What confidence to know that God is never out of the loop. Never aloof, never behind the times. He has the perfect view of everything. We would take our kids to ball games from time to time, baseball game, football game, whatever, get in the stands, got the perfect view of the field. And a family walks in, and you know the guy with the big sombrero? He sits right in front of us, right? It happens all the time, right? Big hats or big signs, right? You're always like, all right, I like John 3.16, but I also wanted to see the game, right? And it's like, you're like, ah. <laughs> And uh, the guy with a big sombrero or whatever, maybe just a really tall individual, 
uh, you know, dads always take the hit for the family, right? It's like, okay, you know, little child or Christy's there, I'll, I'll trade places for you and I'll, I'll try to look around the tallest one anyway, so it should be me, right? And you're the dad, you should be leading, right? So, uh, but yeah, there's things that obscure that perfect view and our limited view of life, isn't there? Things always, whether they're trials or difficulties or just a limited vision we have, but God sees it perfectly. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows your circumstances. He knows what you're trying to decide. He knows when you can't sleep at night. He knows your heart and you want to follow him. You want to do the right thing. He knows these things. He's loving. He's good. He's powerful. And he knows your situation. He is worthy of all my trust in all my decision because he is loving and good and powerful and this unparalleled knowledge and understanding makes it all the more beautiful, right? He knows where I am. It's a comfort in my decisions. Well, he's not only omniscient, but he's also wise. He's wise. God's wisdom. God's wisdom. Look at the definition you see there. I can fully trust God with all my decisions because he is wise. He always chooses the best course of action to always fulfill the results he intends. In God's sovereign control, he never chooses the least efficient path. He always chooses the perfect one. You see there Romans eleven thirty three, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Look at this statement about God's wisdom. Just think about this. God will always exercise his perfect wisdom from his perfect knowledge to always choose the best course of actions through the most optimal means to always fulfill the results and purposes that he intends. You know, our God is sovereign and he is providential. He works the circumstances in your life, not as signs as to do this or that, but he uses them to help guide and our thinking and our decisions as we, as we apply our, our hearts and our minds to the wisdom of God and the decisions we need to make. And as we trust him and look to him, what he's providential. He's working things out in our lives. We don't ignore our circumstances, but in all this providential activity, he will always bring about the best results. That's always in line with his intended result, his wise result, the perfect path. And those best results will always come to pass through the best possible means. You can't undermine God's purposes with a decision that's, that's less than perfect. Don't put that pressure on yourselves. We're oftentimes trying to make the best decision, and we should be. But we take it to a fault where we're trying to act like God and be wise as God is wise. Take his word, get good counsel, use principles, take time in prayer, make a decision knowing that God will then work out all things according to his plan and his purposes for his glory and according to this wisdom that always fulfills the results he intends. I thought J.R. Packer said a, a wise thing here. Wisdom, as we think about several of these attributes, wisdom without power would be pathetic, right? You're wise, but you, have, you can't do anything about it, right? You know the right path, but you don't have the power to fulfill it. Wisdom without power would be pathetic, a broken reed. Power without wisdom would be merely frightening. 
It would, wouldn't it? To have all power and no wisdom behind it to choose that best course of action. But in God, boundless wisdom and endless power are united. And that makes him utterly worthy of our fullest trust. That's the God we serve. That's the God you can rest in. That's the God you can come to and find a comfort and a strong tower in time of great decision. Well, we're looking now to his sovereignty. His sovereignty. Many other attributes of God we could look at today, but this one ties it all together. We need to think this through a little bit. His sovereignty. When we say God is sovereign, I can trust him with all my decisions because he works all things for my good to fully accomplish his good purposes for me. God is sovereign. He is actively involved providentially with all his creation and you to fulfill and accomplish his sovereign plans. Right? He is sovereign. He is in control. So all his plans and purposes will be accomplished. You look here. God does whatever he pleases while ensuring that his purposes and plans are fully accomplished in all circumstances and all people in a manner that is always consistent with his holy character. So we look at that and say, God will always accomplish his plans and purposes. He always will. You look at a passage of scripture here. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. He will always accomplish his plans and purposes. He is sovereign. He is the God of the universe. He is a planning God. He just doesn't, like, pull a string on this world and let it spin on its own. And we're left here to figure it all out, and when it stops spinning, well, Jesus will return, right? No. He has a blueprint for your life. He knows where you're going to be next year. He knows who you're going to date. He knows who you're going to break up with. He knows who you're going to marry. He knows if you're going to be a fruitful single. He knows where you're going to work and where you're going to live. He knows the number of your days. Of course he does. He's God. If, if he did not know those things, he'd, be, he'd fail to be the God of the Scriptures. He's not caught by surprise. And God's sovereign plan will always succeed because his power ensures it. Every detailed minutia. So we think about that. The plans of man can never alter God's ordained plan. I'm not the one in charge. I make decisions but God has the blueprint. God is sovereign. Scriptures say, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It's not us. Why do we align ourselves with the purposes of God? Because that's what aligns with his will for our lives. But God's plans, his specific plans, can't be altered by our decisions. The plans of man can never alter God's ordained plan. Do you have an enemy that's seeking to do you in in some way? You have an assassin, a hitman out to get you? Uh, you know what? If that's not God a part, part of God's plan, it ain't going to happen. Now, should you protect yourself? Sure. We exercise wisdom. I'll seek shelter if I hear a gunshot, right? In Virginia, you hear a lot of gunshots. But, uh, duck. 
But in Columbus, yeah, we would, we would head for shelter when, I, when we lived there. So yeah, you protect yourself and you make good decisions, but God has ordained it, and we have great confidence in him with whatever his plans are, whether they may be difficult or good, may they be blessings or trials. Now, you might be thinking about those first two points, and you're like, am I supposed to make any decisions? I mean, look at this. God will always compass his plans and purposes, and my plans can't alter that. Why am I here? All right, I could be outside sledding, or I could go do something else. I mean, does it matter what I even think? Well, look at this, all right? Let's just bring this together. I'm responsible and accountable to God for my decisions. Make no mistake about it. Your decisions matter. Your decisions are important. We get on these extremes sometimes, okay? That God has ordained it all, and we know that doctrine. Excellent. But then we take the wrong application from it. My decisions don't matter. We're apathetic or we're fatalistic. Whatever I choose to do, what God's going to do, he's going to do anyway. Why share the gospel? If God chose, what difference does it make? He's just going to save anyway. And we know that's not consistent from Scripture, but functionally, we start living that way. We know no man can, can trust the Lord Jesus Christ without knowledge of the gospel and the good feet that bring the good news. There's things I must do. And yet God's sovereign. What do I do? What do I decide? What do I, what, what, what's expected of me here? Our decisions matter. God holds us accountable to the way we live our lives. 1 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of you may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Remember Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose. Make a choice. Your choices matter. Decisions matter. So how do we reconcile this? We don't presume to know the decreed will of God, but we must respond to his moral revealed will in Scripture. I'm personally accountable to God for my own real and personal choices. And so, by faith, by faith, I must strive to make God-honoring decisions while submitting to God's sovereign control. You got to put them both together, everybody. All right? God is sovereign, and I make decisions, and somehow God, in his mysterious ways, he brings them all together. Now, you're thinking about that, and you've probably got a few, like, short circuits going on here, a few sparks coming out of your ears, like, this can't be. Logically, this is impossible. If God's ordained it all, what does it matter? And yet, this is what the scriptures teach. It's what we could call a paradox, right, in the scriptures. God is fully in control, but in his sovereign ways, he uses our decisions, real decisions, and folds them into that sovereign plan of his so that they align just as he wants, just as he has ordained. It's imperative for you to seek to make good decisions. While we trust in the sovereign, loving, good, wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God who controls it all. He is our strong tower. He is the one we run to. He is the one that knows all things. He is the one that's sovereign and in control. And I come and utter awe. I come in just great praise and adoration of this God, not understanding it all, but knowing it's true. And so by faith, I must strive to make God honoring decisions, knowing these things are true. 
your decisions matter. I cry out to God most high. Prayer, right? Why pray? He's our God. He's the one we serve. I live for his glory. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. It's his plan. It's his sovereign control. It's his blueprint. But I pray to him, Lord, I want to live in your plan. I want to live your will. I want my life to count for you. And in so doing, help me with my decisions. And so we reconcile these things with passages like Deuteronomy, right? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. I don't understand it. I don't know how God can work all that out. I don't even know how God can understand everything. But I know this. He chose me from before the foundation of the world. The scriptures are clear. And there was a day I was responsible for deciding when I was born. And when I came to hear the gospel, my choice was going to matter. I needed to trust Christ and turn from my sins and repent and trust Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins. And God blessed that decision and saved me. So the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed, the things we must do, the things we must decide, belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law, that we may follow his revealed will, that we may align ourselves with the principles of Scripture. So strive to be holy. Strive to know his word. Strive to apply it to your life, recognizing the great God we serve that has planned it all from eternity past. And so we close on our last point. Here's what we have to do. In your decision-making, you must depend and you must decide. You must trust and you must make decisions, knowing God is at work in you. We know the passage well. And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Look at that statement. Look at that that passage there. We know. We can have confident certainty. We can have hopeful confidence that those who love God, believers, Christ followers, that all things work together, that God actively works providentially in all things in your life. All things. All circumstance, all good, all evil, the best moments, the worst moments, trials, suffering, your decisions, everything. Yes, your decisions. He uses your decisions to accomplish good in your life. Good. God providentially works on my behalf to accomplish his good purposes in me. Why do I know they're good purposes? Because he's loving, because he's good because he's wise, because he knows my situation. He's all-powerful. I I know this disposition. He's not here to trick me. He's not here to lead me astray. He's not here to lead me over a cliff. He hasn't forgotten me. His His disposition is for our good, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good, not harm. It's profit, it's not loss. It's favor, it's not punishment. And so we have a confident certainty of this good God because he's love. He's fully committed to my utmost care and good. He's good. He demonstrates he's merciful, kind, benevolent to me in all situations. He's omnipotent, ensuring that this great power of his will always succeed in accomplishing his promises and plans. He's omniscient. He assures me he fully knows all things, including every detail of my life and circumstances. And he's wise. He'll always choose the best course of action 
to always fulfill the results he intends as I make decisions for him and his glory. The rest of that passage, we have to quote it. Romans 8, 29, the first part of that verse, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We've kind of done full circle here. This is why we're here, for his glory. It's to be more like Jesus. The more you become like Jesus, the more you become like God, you more become like his son. You start imaging the very God who saved us and redeemed us for his purposes and his glory. And what is he doing? God is accomplishing and using your decisions. And as you trust him, and as you develop fruit in your life, and as you seek the fruits of the Spirit, and you're working on putting aside sin and putting on righteousness, and you're mortifying the flesh, and you're putting on Christ, all these things you're striving for, what? They work together for the good in this grand purpose, to make you more like Jesus. This is what a James 4 decision maker doesn't have in mind. It's not about the perfect decision. It's not about the list of all these steps to take to make a great decision. There may be some good lists out there. It may functionally help you, but if that's all there is, we miss the whole point. We're making decisions. We're committing ourselves to the Lord. We're entrusting ourselves to him, knowing his sovereign plan is something I don't know, but yet I know he'll use my decisions and he'll unite all that together to accomplish this great promise to make you more like Jesus. You know, all of us want to know, will things work out? When I make this decision, where will things go? Where will I be? What will be the end? Will it be a good result, a bad result? Will it be heartache? Will it be blessing? And in this life, God chooses not to give us those specific answers. We may realize some of the consequences of our decisions. We can't see it ahead of time. Instead, God gives us the supreme guarantee. It's the guarantee that all things work together for good. And this is true no matter how well I make that decision. It's not about the perfect decision, you guys. It's not about the matter of the outcome. Why? Because it's based on God's sovereignty, not my performance. It's not based on the actions of other people or the state of the economy or anything else. This good is the confident assurance that God uses all things providentially, working 24-7 on my behalf to make you more like his son. And it's this, it's only this that will bring true joy and lasting contentment, real purpose, growth and sanctification as you make decisions for him and his glory. All right? Let's close in a word of prayer as God helps us with our decisions we make. All right? Father, thank you for your loving disposition towards us. Thank you for the promises, revealing your character and the great God that you are. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you personally, if they don't have a personal relationship with you, Lord, they can't claim these promises. You're a judge, a righteous judge, and you will punish sin. I trust if anyone is here today and hasn't bowed the knee before you and trusted you, Lord, they would run to you. You have promised to give forgiveness. You have promised to bring them in as a child. You have promised, Lord, to forgive sins and separate that sin from them as far as the east is from the west. And I pray today will be the day they trust you. 
And for those that have trusted you, Lord, oh, Lord, you have this loving disposition, not anything from us, but because of Christ. You can love us, and you can sh- uh, exhibit goodness, and you, can, and you can shower your care upon us because of your dis- dispositions toward Christ. And Lord, because we are in Christ, we have these great blessings. So help us, Lord, to confidently make decisions, not looking for a secret passage, not looking for a sign in the sky or or anywhere else, Lord, but just looking to you and the counsel of your word and the prayer uh, that we, we extol before you, Lord, and confidently make decisions committing them to you, knowing you'll work out your good through them. Use us in that way, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.